For those that don't know me, I am Chris Richard. I'm behind the camera and in charge of the production of Leader Chat. Even though the Leader Chat is new, this episode was a milestone for us. Jeff interviews and engages our CEO, Dr. Mark Elgard. I've worked at Cognia for over 12 years, and I know Mark pretty well. Yet to hear him and Jeff talk so passionately about the issues of culture and trust from a leader's point of view was inspiring. Being that we support so many school systems, Mark's insights here will provide you with hope and direction. And now for a shameless plug. If you listen to our Leader Chat podcast, show us you like us by rating us and leaving a comment. It only takes about 12 seconds. Thank you and enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, welcome to Leader Chat, uh, another in this impressive week-to-week series where the concept is for us to talk with leaders. The overall idea is to ensure that we provide pragmatic input and advice to the members of our leadership circle here at Cognia. We serve superintendents, presidents, and their executive team members And our hope is to provide them with efficient um, content that really supports their day-to-day challenges. Because what we know, especially in this day and age, leaders don't have a lot of time. Their day is extremely hectic. And in the meantime, they are navigating times in education in our culture like no other. And so we have to provide content that is different and that is unique. And so once again, welcome. And today, We are joined by an extremely special guest that I'm going to read about and then welcome him in a moment. And this is a live face-to-face conversation like we had a couple of weeks ago. You're hearing this in one of three ways. You're either watching this live, you're watching potentially the rerun that we provide to our members, or you're hearing the podcast version, which comes approximately two weeks after the recording of this event. So... Today, our focus is going to be on culture and trust, and I am thrilled and um, excited to be sitting next to Dr. Mark Elgart, who has served as our president and CEO here at Cognia since 2002. Under his leadership, Cognia was established following the merger of Advanced Ed and Measure Progress to bridge the gap between school evaluation and student assessment. Cogni is an educational organization that serves as a trusted partner with over 36,000 institutions in 85 countries to advance the learning of 25 million students. Mark has a long, distinguished career, 40 years as an educational leader, including time as a math and physics teacher, school principal, and chief executive leading a global education nonprofit. He is annually recognized both locally and internationally as an influential leader in education due to his impact on education policy and the work of schools. He is an internationally recognized speaker on education and a frequent author of educational issues, including recent white papers on federal policy and school improvement in education. Mark is widely viewed and as a foremost authority in school improvement and educational quality. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, once again, welcome, Mark. I appreciate oh, your time. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jeff. Before we delve in, uh, do we need to pause and talk about Red Sox, Braves? Well, I'll tell you, if your baseball team is playing in mid-October, that's a good thing. And I happen to be lucky that I'm playing to my two baseball teams are playing Boston Red Sox and Atlanta Braves. 
And so it's an exciting time of year. We're rooting for a Red Sox Braves World Series. Uh, that would be a great way to finish out October. Uh, I do know this is on your mind because you are a really, really good communicator to our cognitive community. And uh, Fridays, every Friday, I'm, I've become now aware that we'll hear from you and mm -hmm. we'll hear video, uh, via a video message that you send. And often it's really based upon trends in education, a lot of topics, but you do speak your mind and passion. And recently you have been uh, excited. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to probably hear a tidbit of that this Friday. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let me ask you, is there anything I missed in your bio? I, I no, that was, that was very, uh, very generous. No, I'm, just, I'm a lifelong educator and I'm just fortunate to be able to do this work. I love what I do. So, you know, I've, I've talked about our um, reach here at Cognia, which is really, really impressive. Um, but that gives you a particular lens, not just in the country, but internationally as well. Um, one that very few people really have access to. So maybe you can just start off, what, do, what are you seeing? What are you noticing? And what do you have an opportunity to maybe view that others might not? You know, first, I, that lens um, is really me as a student. Uh, when I travel, or when I don't travel these days with Zoom, and I'm doing both, I am traveling again. I have a wonderful opportunity. I get to talk with kids directly. I get to talk with teachers, parents, educational leaders in all venues, whether it's in the United States or outside the U.S. And in all those settings, I learn a lot. And I learned that the incredible value that is placed upon all of us as educators when we do our job right. And people want us to be successful. Parents want their kids to succeed. And we're in a very, very disruptive time. And most of the conversations over the last few months, just last week I was in Missouri and Colorado, is about where are we headed? What's the future hold for us? What will it take for us to get there? And they want schools to be successful. They really do. And teachers and educators want to do their part. They want to contribute to that. So the bottom line, what I'm learning is we have much more of a universal belief in the importance of education. We must take care of that. We must really think about how we uh, consume that and how we act as educators in light of that. As you're traveling um, and engaging with, you know, from students all the way through board members and policymakers, mm -hmm. et cetera, um, and I've heard you talk about this and we've talked about it before, how the disruptive politics are like leaking landing oh, yeah. um, in, in the laps of educational leaders. Um, talk to us about what you're seeing there, because I've heard you mention that a number of times. Well, first off, um, there are more politics in education than there are in politics. And uh, if you really want to understand, especially the United States, the political landscape today, all you have to do is go to your local school board meeting. That is a more better illustration of really what's happening and what the real struggle in America today is a, a complete loss of trust in our institutions. And when I use our term institutions, education institutions, medical institutions, and government institutions, and it really doesn't matter where you land on the political landscape, that loss of trust is across all landscapes. And it puts us into a very difficult uh, settings. Schools for a long time have struggled with 
uh, or an erosion of trust in their communities. And what I've noticed, what we've noticed is school communities that actually have been able to preserve and invest in that trust and maintain it are the ones that are actually handling things like COVID and the disruptions we've had in the last couple of years much more effectively. But school communities that have lost that trust or during COVID, it eroded to a point, are really struggling right now. Trust is a critical factor when you're dealing with the, the growth and lives of children. And you know, parents trust, want to trust their schools. And in large part, parents do. You know, today, even if you look at um, the latest CAP and uh, survey, they continue to note that parents have greater belief in their school that their children go to than they do in other schools. That's a good sign, but it's also a bad sign because the, the negative side of that sign is we've lost trust in our educational institutions. We can't go back to the past pre-COVID, but we must get back community in our schools. Schools, what COVID has taught us all, whether you're an educator or not, is the importance that schools have in the community fabric. They play a, an essential role, not just a logistical role of making sure kids go to school so parents can go to work. They're, they're a central role to the community's culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, people kid oftentimes about uh, Texas high school football Friday night. There's a lot more to that because what it really is, the school is the heart of that community. It isn't just football. The school is the heart of that community. And when there's no trust, all of that breaks down. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned something that I want to just stay with and kind of unpack a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you're right about uh, school board meetings are more political than politics. Mm -hmm. In fact, we know when Saturday Night Live picks a school board meeting as an opportunity for a skit, yeah. right? It's, it now right. is trending, right? And um, we've seen this, and our support of superintendents and educational leaders this is actually dominating, unfortunately, their time as opposed to being able to focus on the educational infrastructure on behalf of kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not picking on school board members because I know many of them are working very hard at keeping a level of balance, but it's not balanced. And um, it's, it's anything um, but focused. It's extremely disruptive. And as we, as we think about that lack of trust landing in a school board meeting and how disruptive that is. What do you think um, we can do beyond just the superintendent? Because there's no magic wand. There's no silver bullet to this. What is our role to try to at least keep that at bay or keep conversation as focused as we can on kids, which we all want. We just seem to be having a hard time doing. It's a great question and a great observation. One of the um, changes that, that was stimulated by a nation at risk in 1983 and then around the late 1980s, 1990, uh, you had a lot of taxpayer groups starting to show up in the, in the country. Around 1990, there was a shift in this, the number of people who were running for school boards and the reason they were running for school boards. Prior to 1990, most people ran for school board to give back to their community, it was community service. Around 1990, there was a, a really major shift that people ran for school board based on a special interest, that they, they identified a reason why and 
a lot of them in the early 90s, it was tax-related. I'm going to go there, even though I don't have kids in school, to protect the, the taxes because most of our local taxes go to support the schools. Somebody has to be a watchdog. And that has been largely the case over the last 30 years. Not just taxes, there's been other special interests. And as school board members get elected based on that special interest, what happens is that special interest can't be the way they govern. And when superintendents receive the results of an election, they have to also make a choice. All right, I know X person got elected because of their special interest. And it's no secret. I mean, those are very transparent. It's part of the uh, election process. But now to help our board members move from special interest to get elected to govern as a school system, govern the school system. And it won't just happen by accident. You have, superintendents need to get very intentional. They need to ensure whole board training, not individual board training, on what's effective governance. It's not going to guarantee anything, but one of the aspects that a superintendent has the most influence over is the culture of his or her system from the boardroom to the classroom, from the board, not, not just in the boardroom. And with superintendents as the CEO, the, the executive over the entire system, they have an opportunity to shape that culture. If they don't intentionally try to shape that culture, that, those individuals will shape the culture for the superintendent, and then you're in a reactive mode. And so I think what superintendents need to do is, number one, have a, a game plan of what they want the culture to look like and start to influence it in their own behaviors and own actions, continue to model the behaviors they believe, understand the motivations behind their board members, but don't let that be the single way in which they come to that board meeting. Don't reject it. You, you, know, you can acknowledge, yes, I understand. This is why you ran for the board. I respect that, and I think there's some benefit or value, but now we must incorporate that within our overall role as a school board and become a board. Uh, it's not easy work. I think superintendents today have one of the most difficult leadership positions, not in any industry. You have to be part politician, part business person, part educator, and part community leader. And all of those things have to happen at once with great skill. Whether they signed up for that or not. Correct. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's easy for me to say what I'm about to say because I'm no longer in the superintendent seat. So this is this is Monday morning quarterbacking, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we've also seen board members who have been loyal to the concept of focused governance mm -hmm. shift over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Because while they at one time practiced according to what they were, you know, really designed to do, this uh, level of mistrust and political chaos has pulled them in one direction, and many of them are now behaving in ways they know is contrary to what their role is. I think now is also a time for superintendents and leaders to take some risks, which is easier said than done, because often it's putting their own employment in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. But if they don't create clarity for the board relative to roles and responsibilities now, we can pretty much predict what's going to happen years from now. That's a very slippery slope that once it goes too far, you can't pull it back, in my opinion. Yeah, and so I'm hoping that, that leaders see this as an opportunity to take some risks as well. And they need to. And here's, here's a pathway. A lot, it's, a lot of superintendents today are faced with boards that are divided based on political party. It could be 
four, three, five, two, doesn't matter what the numbers is, there's a split. The first thing that a superintendent must avoid doing is picking sides. There's only one side a superintendent should pick in everything they do, and that's the side of the learner, the side of the child. They're asked, you know, are they a Democrat or Republican? The answer should be no, I'm for kids. They, if they can remain focused on the individual needs of kids in every way that they do, what they do is they don't contribute to the political debate and discourse of their board. If they engage in that, then they become part of that. And it's, as like I said, it's easier said than done, but I have witnessed superintendents who avoid the political divisions within his or her board. Those are the ones right now that have a much clearer grasp of what they're doing and where they're headed. But the ones who get caught up in the politics are a reflection of that chaos and that debate, and they're struggling to move forward because they've become part of it, and they have to remain separate from it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity, Mark, to hear you speak and read uh, some of the material that you've put out there. Um, you know, and you're a very insightful person, and I've heard you refer to leadership level levers as well as, you know, levels of impact. Can, can you unpack those for a little bit and maybe talk about what would you recommend we prioritize on right now? The, the first, that leaders have four levers, and I've already talked about one. Culture is a critical one. You have the most influence over your culture. The second one is talent. In any system, organization, school system, you have a range of talent, but you need a core of talent to move forward. You need to know where that talent is in your, in your system. And it's part in your classrooms, it's part in your you know, your school buildings, it's in your central office, it's even on your board. What's that talent core that you have? You have to be very aware of it because they become levers of change for you. The third lever is knowledge. Just because somebody's talented, they don't know, that doesn't mean they necessarily know what to do. In knowledge, you need to provide them, why are we doing something? What are we gonna do? And how are we gonna do it? And the most talented people will be able to move forward. But you must provide them, first and foremost, why are we doing this? You know, if we're going to move to a competency-based educational system, why should we do that? Hmm. And really, that, that question needs to be explored deeply. Then go, how are we going to do it? And what are we going to do? The last lever ties back to uh, the knowledge, is execution. One of the things, and I've traveled the world and schools around the world, and I've seen great schools and I've seen struggling schools. One of the difference between great schools and a struggling school is great schools actually execute, take actions to improve. And that starts with the leader. And you can see they may have a, a plan that's on one page and they have two goals on it, but they execute on it. They actually make improvement. Then I see other schools where that school improvement plan is just that, it's a plan. It never gets executed. And unfortunately, and this is a sad note, most of the schools fall in that bucket. They struggle executing on their actions. Part of it is the design of the way school happens. When is their time? The average school improvement plan in a, in a state in this country, a pretty large state, is 153 pages long. The average teacher in that state doesn't read the plan, never has, and never will, because it's not practical. I mean, think about when you know, the kids are coming no matter whether you're ready or not. When the buses show up, school happens. When do you find time to improve? And so the ability to execute, and it's not the ability to execute a lot, it's actually as a leader to have a sense of what can we get done and why should we do it? And 
but the leaders who really take action have the, that lever to really move forward. And then creating the impact, it doesn't happen overnight. You're gonna struggle. Yeah. Change is not easy, and there's five levels it takes. First, you gotta just sort of practice it. Then you gotta do it with some level of quality. Then you gotta see some results from it. Then, can you do it repeatedly? And last, one of the things you always wanna look for in your staff when you're introducing change is when that change they take ownership of. When they say, well, we're doing it because Jeff, our, Jeff was superintendent, that was his initiative. When they say, no, it's just the way we do things around here. They disassociate the leader from that change and they've now taken ownership of it. That takes years to do. And we've witnessed that in schools and systems that have actually been able to achieve profound change because the ownership gets embedded in the culture. So we're gonna have to find a time and talk nothing but strategic planning in one of these leader chats. Sure. Um, you, you struck a number of chords with me just mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. because um, you're, in my experience, sitting in that seat, you're 100% right. You know, it's often in a very thick three-ring binder um, with initiatives that actually no one, including administrators, can't name. And I used to do this as an activity. I'd put it behind my back and give pop quizzes to our own people. <laughs> and everyone failed all the time. We always came out with the F based upon a traditional grading system. And so I thought, how strategic is the plan if we don't even know what's in it, That's as you right. just described? Yeah. And um, uh, unfortunately, I think it gets done, in, get done, gets done incorrectly over and over and over. And rarely do you see a plan that really defines what you want to be known for. And like That's a great you said, point. That's a great point. What do we want to be known for? And then what are the few things that we can all commit to, literally, throughout the entire system? Because you're a school system, not a system mm -hmm. of schools. And how do you make sure, right, you can execute on those? If the teacher doesn't know them, if the principal doesn't own them and create systems of support and accountability, it will never happen. Absolutely right. And this is exactly what happens over yeah. and over. We repeat that same thing and we, we lock it in. You know, two things, learning and change are, cannot be time-based. They, they happen over time and for everybody there's a different time schedule. And the type of change you're trying to create in your school, you can't necessarily do in a school year. And you need to free yourself from that. And you need to garner the commitment and let people practice and take risks without fear of, of being, you know, having retribution or consequence, right. fear of consequences because they need support when they're doing this type of change to be able to fail as well as succeed. Uh, and that takes boldness on a leader's part. Am I willing to let my teachers or principals struggle? Am I willing to let my kids and parents struggle? But profound change can happen when you are. Yeah, agreed. Now, I'm gonna um, hopefully not embarrass you too much, but uh, you talked about trust. One strategy in terms of really focusing on trust is communication. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed in my brief time here at Cognia, um, you, you put a lot of effort into communication with mm -hmm. us, right? With uh, the very people of Cognia. So it's not focused just on outward communication, it's literally internal communication. But when you do so um, in your Friday messages and beyond, you actually, um, you are very honest in what you're noticing. I actually watch you um, 
kind of balance this political dilemma extremely well. I don't, I don't necessarily know where you would stand, but you will acknowledge this is what's happening mm-hmm. in the environment, and this is how it's affecting schools and therefore kids. So what advice do you have for leadership, whether that be superintendents or assistant superintendents, that team, to communicate honestly and yet not, you know, and, and still create that balance you described earlier where you're not creating a right or a left stance? Yeah, great points. First and foremost, probably the number one thing that any leader can do is invest constantly in their communication capabilities both in its effectiveness and its agility. It, there's nothing more important. It's one of those things that's a constant school improvement goal. In any organization, communication can always be improved, and it starts with a leader, and you, you have to really invest in it. Secondly, this goes back to the fact that you're, you are likely over a community, including your board and the entire community, that has really different views on a lot of, different, on a lot of critical topics that have been politicized. And you have to be very careful. Think of, first and foremost, what's your purpose in being there? Your purpose in being there, why did you become a superintendent? You became a superintendent because you believed you could improve the lives of children in an entire system. And that you had a vision and you had the leadership capability to inspire, influence, and impact people to do what's right for kids. You didn't become a superintendent because I, I want to do that as, you know, as a Democrat or a Republican, I'm going to go into some higher office. There was a genuine focus on kids, which goes back to all of us when we started teaching. Why do we go into teaching? And I think that's the pathway. The pathway that got us into this work is a pathway that leads us to the future in this work. Mm-hmm. Is I go back and I said it earlier, stay focused in your communications on what's best for kids. Don't challenge or uh, disregard that people have belief systems that may not be in accordance with yours. Some of it may be, and I, I find we live in a, we're trying to make the world black and white, but it's very gray. You know, on one topic, you and I might be in agreement. On a second topic, we might not be. But for me to say, well, anything I'm for, you're against, is that's one thing as a leader we should not do, is put people firmly in one bucket or another. Life is gray. And as a leader, you can acknowledge the grayness. Acknowledge, yeah, I, I understand your point. You know, it's like a uh, topic of vaccinations. You know, we, we adopted a policy four months ago to require vaccination. And not all the staff agreed with that policy. Uh, and it was a policy and is a policy. But 99% of the staff are vaccinated. Several of the staff members, and I respect them, communicated to me, they disagreed with the policy. Now they got vaccinated. And I said, I respect your opinion, but it's a company policy. And to be honest with them, it's like, I understand where you're coming from. I'm not disregarding that. I accept, expect, um, accept it, but we have a policy that's for Cognia. And the same thing you can do with people that you lead in your community is as a leader, it's really hard but you have to stay out of the debate. You have to lead. And one of the things that I find freeing for me as a leader right now is I focus on where we're going, not where we are or where we've been. And in these times of such disruption, 
that focus on the future is actually free. And the ability of you to get your community to talk about the future, because you, you have to make a choice here. Are you going to deliberately lead towards the future, or are you going to let dis the disruption that is present in our everyday lives today define the future for you? And, and that's one of the strategies I think leaders should do, is get their boards and their communities to talk about what do we want to become? Not where we are today. Let's move the, the dialogue today around masks and vaccinations and um, you know uh, social issues to what do we want to do for our kids? What is it that, you know, right now you have kids who are in first grade who more than likely by the time they graduate, they're going to be pursuing careers that 70% of them haven't even been created. They're going to be living in the world of robotics where, you know, they may have in their future a, a household robot that does all their household cleaning, orders their groceries, keeps the inventory yeah, of everything. Yeah, the Jetsons. Right, the Jetsons. The, yeah. Well, there's more truth to the Jetsons than we realize. It certainly is. Right? And, and say, let's focus on that kid. How do we make sure that kid's prepared to lead their personal and professional lives in the era of robotics, which is upon us right now? That type of conversation starts to move people beyond the disruption of today. Yeah. But think about tomorrow. I mean, Google the Jetsons. There's a Google out there. There's a YouTube one where you say, how much of the Jetsons has come true 50 years later? A lot of it's come true, and a lot more of it's coming true. As you talk, I had a, I had a mentor years ago tell me, every time that you feel like this kind of tit-for-tat discussion is happening in a public forum, figure out how you say something above it. And mm -hmm. I said, well, what does that mean? And he would describe it to me, whatever you do, do not engage in that. Mm -hmm. You figure out what conversation is intriguing to everyone yeah. and change the topic. Mm -hmm. And there was a superintendent last week, a woman who I, I really respect. She's a very smart person. She was venting to me, um, struggling, as many of them are. And her point was, I just... I don't even, and we're just arguing all the time. And I said, well, what's your why? Like you said, why, why do yeah. you do this work? Yeah. And she rolled her eyes. And I said, no, seriously, what is it? And so she went into it, and she, her face lit up, and she described why she does the work. And I said, if you were to say that and be vulnerable in a board meeting and just say that, there's nothing that can be argued with there. That's right. That has nothing to do with vaccines or masks or politics. It has everything to do with your heart for kids. And if you were to say that publicly, not only are you vulnerable, but you're clear and you've just elevated the conversation to a new plane. Talk about that, right? I think. Well, what's great about your point there, your example there is it's a way to get back community. And, and our educational leaders have to get back community, not go back to the past, but get back community because it's that school community that can you know, visualize and dream about its future and move towards it. And it's just a, it's a great piece of advice for her because I do believe at our core, we all come to those engagements yeah, with strong, passionate belief in making the lives of children better. The one thing about this anger is that um, at the very least, it's not apathy. <laughs> <laughs> that. that that is for sure. There right, is a so lot of energy. At least you can try to embrace That's that. That's right. And it's about channeling this energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So one thing, um, our, we're focused, we say circles are better than rows, mm-hmm. and we call it the leadership circle for a reason. Most of our strategies and supports are actually roundtable processes, but this is actually delivering content. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's just end this by me asking, what would be the pragmatic brass tacks advice that you would have for leaders um, that maybe you haven't mentioned because it's, that you've already done that, but what would you want to end to saying to members of our leadership circle and beyond? I think for leaders, what I would first tell them is to really take it, and I don't mean this um, in, a, in any minimal way, take a moment to really go back to why you are doing what you're doing, your why, okay? And that's really important because you, get, you can get lost in all the chaos, all the noise right now, and you actually have to separate yourself. And once you create that separation, you have to stay apart from this. You, and I've said it before, you, and some of the leaders right now, and I've talked and visualized and, and studied over the last couple of years, why are some leaders surviving and thriving right now in their leadership roles and others are really struggling? It's that separation. The leaders that are really thriving separated themselves to say, what is my role in now? Not that I make all the decisions. In fact, in most cases, they're not making decisions because what they did was they, they got their community and they focused on the trust and communication within their community. And that's what I would say is you have to say, I need to rebuild, strengthen, grow the trust and communication within my community. I can't do that if I'm immersed in the, in the debate and immersed in the noise. I actually have to pull myself away. And, I, and there are cases where you see examples of leaders who are being held to such a high regard right now because people see them as the solution, not the problem. Where in other areas, superintendents and principals are being blamed as the problem. And the, and the difference between the two is one separated themselves and understood their role to facilitate a community that needed to build trust and needed to communicate with one another. The other jumped in. Yes. And, and I know it's harder, I know it's easier said than done, but the fact is right now, we have real riveting examples of where someone's done it extremely well and someone struggled with it. It can be done if you intentionally commit to it. I did that, that word intentionally commit is, I mean, that, that concept is really important because even if they're not jumping, they're being dragged in. Mm-hmm. They, have to f- they have to actively fight against that. Yes. Right, because even when they are being asked to jump in, they almost need to say, that's not my job. That's right. This is my, this is, so Mark, let me, let's end by oh. um, number one, me talking about how much I appreciate not only your time and focus for this conversation, but you know, your leading of Cognia and how blessed and fortunate I feel to be part of this work. So, Likewise, Jeff, we're, we're really excited that you're part of it and leading this important activity for our leaders. I appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, know that we appreciate your time. We know that it's extremely valuable. Um, and once again, welcome to Leader Chat, and I hope that you've enjoyed. Be well.